Hi everybody, I'm Bill Whittle with my friend Alfonso Rachel. This is a Virtue Signal, and we talk about all kinds of weird stuff on this show, so uh, that's what we're going to do again today. It's been an unusual week for, for me, and I'm sure for both of us. So, Zoe, uh, as we record this, I was uh, I watched uh, Sting live in concert a couple nights ago. And uh, it, was an inc- it was an incredible show. Uh, really an incredible show. And, and I had a lot of things to think about about that. One of them was the power of music, and you're a musician, and I'm not. Um, we can get into that in a minute. But as I was sitting in this crowd full of people, and there were probably, a, I don't know, 2,000 people there, uh, I had this very strange thought, uh, extremely presumptuous thought, uh, but it also happens to be true. I'm sitting in this room full of people, and I'm watching Sting, and I'm and, and, and just, just to very briefly... You're sitting in this enormous theater in, in Las Vegas, and then in, in this particular show, the curtain parts, and Sting comes out in a, in a bright yellow suit, and he just, co- he just walks through the curtains, he's got a guitar, and he sings Roxanne on an acoustic guitar, and, uh, and that's how the show opens, and he got a lot more spectacular after that, but that's how it opens, and my first thought was, holy crap, that's Sting, you know, I was like, I was like that's really Sting, that's Sting. So it was an amazing show, and 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 a lot of stuff about the music I want to talk to you about in a minute. But the, the but the pretentious thought that I had was that of all the people in this room, maybe three or four of us know what that's like. Now, it will occur to a number of people that I'm not as famous as Sting, uh, and and that I don't have the cultural influence that Sting has. But what occurred to me was, I know what it's like to be on the other side of that curtain. And I know what it's like to walk out into a large room of people. And I know what it's like to, 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 to move an audience. And I'll just say this one more time. I'll probably have to say this every two or three minutes. I'm not comparing myself to Sting in, in, in regard to the scale of it. But... I've been on the other side of that curtain and had and had to come out in front of an audience, and so have you. And I thought that it might be interesting to some people to have a discussion about that, because this is the thing that I wanted to talk about most. Sting came out and sat on a stool for a lot of it and talked to people. And I thought to myself, I really like this guy. I really like him, you know? And then that other part of my head said, yeah, you know, and I'm sure that's, that, that stripper says she really likes me too, you know? <laughs> In other words, it's their job to convince you that, that they're real people. And then the third thought of my head came around again. And I said, yes, but I really do believe him. I really do believe him when he talks about coming from a coal mining town in England and he, all he ever wanted to be was a, a, a working musician and a cowboy. And, and I guess this, this kind of goes a little bit to what we talked about in our last show, which was a, which was a, a, a laugh-a-thon. Um, <laughs> but, but there was a sincerity there that I believed, and I have been on the other side of that sincerity curtain, and I know that what Sting was saying was real because I've been real too. When, when you get in front of an audience, if you're good at what you do, the main thing that you do, whether it's public speaking 
as I've done, I've probably done 200 events and several of them have been in front of thousands of people. Nothing, nothing like what, what he had there, but still it's enough. That's a big room. I did, I did a, I think I did a 4,000 room event once. That's, that's a lot of people. And, and so you come out on stage and, and for you to be successful, you have to really remove all of this artifice and it's not a trick. It's not me actually pretending to be sincere. It's not me learn some technique where I feel like I'm talking to every individual person in that room like I'm really talking to them. That's real. That's really what a what a what a good artist can do is they can is they can they can penetrate that proscenium stage, penetrate that fourth wall, and make that human connection to people. And Sting did that so effectively that I wanted to talk about that with you because you've been a musician, you've been a speaker, you've, you've done all of this stuff and you, you've done it too. And I thought it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on, on what it's like to be on stage because oh. most people don't know mm. what it's like to be on stage. No, even if it's uh even if it's karaoke, <clears throat> you know, and, and, and that, that in itself takes a degree of, uh, you know, charisma, courage, you know, courage to walk up there and sing. Yeah. yeah. Charisma, courage, you know, to, to be able to do that. But, you know, with Sting at this point, of course, it's going to be second nature. He's been at this for a while. You know, when you have these artists, it in itself becomes an art form to be able to make that connection where you you're one person and you have an audience of thousands, but every one of those thousands of people you know, may feel like you're just talking to them, you know, or to be able to um, or if the audience is just enjoying the fact that there's this community of people enjoying the same thing. Um, these these things that spark nostalgia and uh, the the um, just uh, to have this common to have this cadence with people where it's like, you know, these songs and and, you know, the person who did it. And these people, they're really in love with your work. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, they identify you with their work, you know, like even with us doing right now, if we have people who appreciate what we do, the thing that they know is they know us by our work and that's how they identify us. Um, and, and the thing is, with a lot of these actors and, you know, Sting may be a very not likable person, There's a lot of people that may be likable person, but we find out that a lot of these people, it's almost like it seems like your job is to, to try to convince people that they like you. But when you find out yes. about how they are in real life, it's like, man, I, from what I understand, and, and I've met this person, you're not a very likable person. <clears throat> you know, people say, oh, this person, man, it seems like a person I'd really love to have a beer with or something like that. Or, and, yeah, yeah. you know, and um, that's their persona, like for, 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 for the camera and for the microphones. But aside from that, they're damaged idols, you know? And um, that's a lot of the country is given over to that. These damaged idols that 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 are looked up to, and uh, and I don't want to say that about you know Sting or for uh, you know certain people. There are certain people that we can definitely say, yeah, that's a damn like Bruce Springsteen, for example, is a damaged idol. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, you know, see, we were talking about him in the last was like damaged idol. Um, yeah. And by the way, one thing we didn't mention on the last show, mm. uh, which if you saw, was that he said, yeah, you're right. Mm. Sold his whole audience out. He sold his whole yeah, career. That, anyway, that poison of pandering, and uh, and at the same time, you know that any of us, any of us are are damaged to one degree or another. Sure. Uh, and I don't, but I don't think, um, you know, I don't think there's anybody or there shouldn't be anybody who idolizes us. But we know that there are celebrities who are idolized, and a lot of times, the bigger the damage, the bigger the idolization. It's a weird thing. But this guy's been married to the same person for quite a long time, and 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 the thing that struck me the most about this concert was his humility. And this is kind of it's kind of the point of what I'm trying to get at here is is what you just mentioned. Mm. Is that fake? 
Mm. You know, there's that old saw. It's like, you know, sincerity is everything. Once you can fake that, you got it made. <laughs> um, but I really got the impression that he that he really was a, a humble person and, and was was speaking to me from the heart. And I know he speaks to everybody from the heart every single night of the week for the entire tour. I understand that. But that doesn't make it untrue. And and that's kind of where I'm going with this. Because there are some people, Bill Maher comes to mind, who I have heard when he does an event, he parachutes in, he does his thing, takes his check, and he's gone. And that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and so I'm I'm curious to know, and I know other people are curious to know, what what it's like for you when you're on stage as a musician or when you're in front of people speaking about politics or 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 a home church or what or whatever what's it what's it like to be on stage and 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 how is it possible to be in such an artificial situation i'm standing behind this wooden uh you know uh podium and there are these lights on me and i'm facing thousands of people or more likely a dozen people <laughs> and uh and nevertheless What's it like to be able to kind of part that curtain and 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 communicate directly with people from the stage? How do you do that? Well, it's definitely a different dynamic from being a musician to being a speaker. Uh, man, this is this is tough for me to admit, uh, but I've actually gotten more warm reception, or I've, 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 it's actually been more fulfilling, for lack of a better word, uh, being a speaker. The thing that I I least like to do. Mm -hmm. compared to being a musician. As a musician, it has actually been very unfulfilling for me. Uh, the thing that I enjoy doing the most, making music, has been, it's like, you know, I've, I've played so many shows where it's like you're just playing for the bartenders and stuff like that. Uh, being able to promote music, promoting in music is, is it in itself is, it's not just a, an art form, it's a gift. There are certain people who are born with a magnetism to get people to show up to their gigs, to be able to get people to show up to that event. Or they have people in their networks who are able to, promoters and whatnot, like genuine promoters, not just people who make money off your ticket sales, but people who actually know how to make it an event where people want to come to. You've got to because they this. Because they know the artist well enough, or at least they know the strengths of the artist and they, they know how to sell yeah, that. And they, they, they know the demographic. And like I said, they've already, it's like, it's a mojo, man. It's like something that it's, it's a je ne sais quoi. Like, how do you define it? It's some formula that's like unnamed where people can, can be a part of this, can be at the center of it and gravitate people to it. That's like a talent that I've not had in music. Um, but in terms of like speaking events, it's not me myself who are able to gravitate people event. It's been able to connect with people who are able to pull these people together where I can speak in front of like hundreds or even a, a, a thousand plus people. And doing that to, to answer the question, like, what's it like to be able to take the stage and to be able to be received by these people? Um, man, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, you guys dig the truth, right? Yeah. You're, you're digging the truth and to be able to share in that, to be able to fellowship in that. You're resonating on the same frequency yeah. and you're resonating. And you on, see yes. the faces and, and you say something that's true and you see people who've been told for the last 20 years that no, this is a lie and you tell them it's the truth and they know it's a yes. truth and you see their faces light up and then, and then you feel like, okay, I've got something. Exactly. There's something going on. And here. that in itself is musical. 
Like I said, we're vibe. We're, we're on the same frequency here, man. We're striking the same chord. There's no this. This isn't dissonance or anything like that. It's like, oh, that's sour. It's like, no, you're li- and you're you're watching it, and in itself is 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 musical. So I can really yeah. appreciate that. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say on on this particular point because, like I said, I, I was in that room and I thought that is an experience that I've had several times, not on that scale. But then again, yeah, on that scale. Yeah, it is on that scale. Yeah. I walked in front of thousands of people in a dark room and, and, and I am the show. It's me. It's this is what they're here to see. And I realized I'm looking around at all these other people. They said they have no idea what that's like. And, and I thought it might be interesting for people to, to see what the other side of that was. But, but what you said there is, is one of the main things that I wanted to talk about on this episode. And that's the idea that, that, on any kind of a live performance, whether it's music or speaking event or whatever the case may be, there is a feedback loop between Mm. the performer and the audience. And that's why anybody who's ever done this knows the difference between a hot crowd and a cold crowd. And that's why anybody who's ever done this knows that when you've got a hot crowd, you you will take that show to a level that you couldn't, you physically couldn't do with a cold crowd. Because that feedback loop, you know, that, 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 that sense of, yeah, we're loving this, encourages you and, and emboldens you is a better word. You know, it emboldens you. And, and you just keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Even, even in, in something very, very different and very simple, when I was much younger and I was working in the Miami Planetarium, <clears throat> we would do laser shows. And one of the laser shows we did was the police that was the one that was the most uh, popular. And the people who are running the lasers are artists. They're basically doing this in real time. And I was making the announcement. I said, folks, you know, this is a live show. The more uh, you enjoy the show, the more the artists enjoy the show, the more they enjoy the show, the better show they put on, which means you like it even better. It's a feedback loop. So let's all get, you know, let's all get behind this. And, and even for guys who are just twisting knobs to make little spirograph patterns on the ceiling, when they had a hot crowd, and we knew it, we all knew it, we're all looking at each other, you know, the performers, I'm doing background lights and things like that, and we're looking at each other, this we're really cranking now, man, mm-hmm. you know, we're really, 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 really cranking. And, and that feedback loop is intoxicating, in, and I think it's intoxicating in an entirely kind of pure way. You know, it's not it's not like a fake drunkenness. It's not it's not Caesar going through, you know, the parade like, oh, everyone, everyone worship me, throw, throw hosannas. At. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's a really pure kind of a dynamic when when you're able to connect to an audience. And and then they connect back to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The reading the room, man, you got to know how to read the room. And uh, I think. I, I can think of like two speeches, like a, 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 a one of my better ones and one of my worst ones. And I and um, I figured, man, it's like you guys do know what I talk about here, man. It's like my approach is, is cultural and it's, I'm not looking to politicians to solve the problem and stuff like that. And those, the, where I was uh, scheduled to speak at is like basically a room full of uh, attorneys and people with political ambitions and stuff like that. And I'm basically just laying it down and saying, look, man, uh, you're not the answer. <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and, uh, and I don't think they liked hearing that, even though I think they needed to hear it. But, you know, it's one of those things. And then another speaking engagement uh, I did. Uh, I, 
I don't like to do stump speeches as it is. It's like, I really like to have it like, you know, structured and how I'm going to talk about what I'm going to address. Cause you know, I have a complex about rambling and, uh, it turned out that this was probably, I think one of my better, and it, re it received a standing ovation and all that sort of stuff. It mm -hmm. was at, um, I think it was a values value voters summit. And, uh, mm -hmm. we we're pro promoting the, the, the Gosnell movie and, uh, Dean Kane, Superman, uh, you were great in that, by the way. Oh, You're a very good actor. Thank you. Thank you, man. And, 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 uh, you know, the guy who's supposed to be, who's Superman was late. It's like, Hey, man, Superman's supposed to be on time. Well, he was late and they needed somebody to come in and fill. It's like, Hey, Zoe, uh, right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It, it's, it, it was like, we need you to speak until Dean, basically until Dean Kane gets here. Well, not having anything prepared, I'm like, you guys, maybe you hadn't heard. I don't like, I don't like, and, and you're like, man, we really need you to, to, to fill in for, for like, until he gets here right so this turned out to be like 20 minutes and i went and did it and praise be to god i actually had something to to talk about you know and uh and it was received well uh unfortunately it it wasn't seen well it's it's, it's on youtube i think it still only has like maybe like this was like a couple of years ago only has like 200 some views it's like wow man that's... well we'll link it to the throw us the link and we'll put it in the link on this show that way we'll get another 20 views for yeah, it. thank you man yeah I, I'll, I'll take all no i can get you know no problem and, uh you know i think i i, I think i might have said something useful and and obviously you know the the handlers really appreciate it. wow man we that was thank you thank you for filling in uh, the crowd seemed to enjoy it. So that was uh, not, you know, trying to toot my own horn, but just giving that example of what it's like to be on stage and how these things can come about where it's um, sometimes you can be overconfident and fall flat. And sometimes you can be like, you know, all right, uh, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do with. And, and you can kill it. You know, th this thing, it's very dynamic, you know, and that's and that's one of the things why you see so many moving parts in this to make sure that it goes right from from the fluff person or the the, the uh you know the, the, yeah the person who the, the person who warms up the crowd to the person who's handing the lightings the person who's handing the sound all this stuff is so well orchestrated to make sure that there is this ideal reception you know to how these things are done and uh you know people try to put these things together on their own and they're surprised like hey well it looks so simple like you know when they, when they do it, it's like no man it to make this happen there's so many intricate parts and it's a it's a machine to make this thing work to when you take that stage man there's so many things that can go wrong so many mm -hmm. things man i i mean for technical issues execution issues all that sort of stuff to make sure that none of these things happens there's a lot on the performer there's a lot riding on his shoulders that's delegated to a lot of other people to make sure that they can just relax and deliver their performance you know, it's like, I don't know if people realize, man, it's a lot that goes into it. No, absolutely. And the flip side of a of a hot crowd is a cold crowd. And the worst kind of cold crowd is a dead crowd. Mm. Uh, I recall especially uh, a, an event I did in Fort Lauderdale, and I was scheduled to go on at about 8.15, somewhere around there. There's a room full of people. And they had a few politicians were going to go on before me, which I always just can't stand <laughs> because I, could, I just feel the energy just going mm. down like this. Well, I was supposed to go on at 8.15, but the politicians ran a little long. So I started at 11.30. People had their heads, they, they were sleeping, they, they were falling asleep in their soup, mm. you know? That's, that's what I walked out on stage uh, with. And I've had this happen to me a couple times. And then it's not even like, okay, now it's like, I have to do something completely different. I can't just come out there and start talking. I got to put the defibrillators on people. You know what I mean? I got to come up with something that's going to wake people up. 
And needless to say, I did. You said you have a, a, a fear of, 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 uh, of rambling. Mm-hmm. That's actually my brand. Uh, <laughs> but b- back a little bit to the sincerity thing and, and, and that kind of, why did we go to see Sting? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, why did we pay money to go drive to Vegas to see Sting? And I don't go to a lot of concerts at all. This is one of the best times I ever had. And, and I think the moment that really, really got to me was when he was singing one of the songs that I like the least. But because he's on stage, he's able to play around with things. And you don't want to just do the way it was recorded because otherwise you just listen to the record, right? And he was singing this song where he says, so lonely, so lonely. And then he just goes on, so lone, 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 lonely, so lonely, so lonely. And he just kept saying lonely, lonely, lonely. He probably did that for two minutes. Mm. And I thought, when he wrote the songs, the early police song, you don't just invent that stuff. That, that that's from the heart. And that, and that everything that he sang about seemed to come from, like, a, a real place and and a real experience <clears throat> and 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 he had the courage to talk about you know just i just feel so lonely so lo- it's what the song is i feel so lonely roxanne is about a guy trying to talk this this woman that he loves to not be a prostitute anymore you know that's what that song is about and and so many of these songs are just really dark. Uh, mm. Synchronicity song, Scott and Steve and I were talking about this on the Right Angle show when I told him I was going to go see Sting on our backstage show. And, and he sent, I think it was Scott who said, I really couldn't figure that song out. I listened to it. I said, Scott, it's about a guy coming home to kill his family. What? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he sees the family home now looming in his headlights, the pain upstairs that makes his eyeballs ache. Many miles away, there's a shadow on the door on a cottage of a shore of a dark cottage lake. That whole song is about this monster coming out of Loch Ness while this guy is coming home from this horrible job. And he's just, he's had enough. He's broken. Mm. But, but that's really what, that's really what the, that's the reason that somebody's on stage, whether it's in music, public speaking, comedy, it's they have managed to capture something in themselves and been able to honestly pro- project that out there to people and that's what makes people connect to them that's what makes people buy their albums it's not that it sounds good musically although that's often the case certainly classical music for example is just for the sound there's emotion behind it but in in a, in a lot of rock and roll songs and especially in blues and things you get a sense that this person's just laid their soul out in front of you, you know? And and you go, yeah, I felt lonely too. I felt lonely, 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 lonely. Yeah, man, I know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, thinking about that synchronicity song, it's uh, it's imagining Sting in fade mode, you know, from the Dune movie. Uh, you know. <laughs> I will kill him! <laughs> Right, wearing that uh, that that plastic mankini or whichever it is that he was, he steps out of there. Uh, yeah, yeah, sting, he'll cut you. And uh, you know, the, the and with these songs, that's that's a big part of it, man. Just being able to relate. It's like these people are they're making this music, and they've got and it's got this content in it, and people can relate to it. And I, and I and I see a lot of the culture is is steeped in that. They they want this content, um, mainly for. I, 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 on an emotional level, they, they uh, that that for them has more 
uh, it has more weight to them than appealing to them on an intellectual level. And I hope I don't sound condescending to people, but that's just the no. way that it is. Is that we, when you're going towards art, uh, it, the, the emotional aspect of it is is more absolute and more real to them than the intellectual pursuit of it. And you know, the thing is. <clears throat> With, with this culture that wants to feel like they're not alone and somebody can relate to their loneliness or these these other things that they're feeling, you know, people feel a sense of, I don't know, relief or somehow they feel better. But as, to borrow the liberals words again, it's it's not sustainable. As we can see, there's a whole bunch of this music that is being put out there where people are expressing themselves and all that sort of stuff. And people are becoming more emotionally unstable. Um, like for me. You know, when I read through uh, the word, there's that same lament. All these laments are still in there, but there's there's a there's a different factor to it. There's that light at the end of the tunnel. Right. It's not just a point of, oh, somebody else. It can relate to my loneliness because all that does is contribute to the factor of misery loves company. Okay, so we've got this communal misery. Right. I feel better because somebody is miserable with me. But in the word, there's that same lament. There's that same misery. However, there is hope in there. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the things that it's like, it's almost like misery in itself is an addiction or it's an addiction to feel that like other people can relate to your misery and stuff like that. And these things will end up poisoning us. It's poisoned the nation. It's poisoned the world. But for some reason, and, and it seems like do you actually want to get out of this misery? Do you actually want to experience the hope? Because you see a lot of people out there talk about how love wins and and keep hope alive and hope and change and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, but I'm not really seeing what you're doing to get out of this hope. It seems like you just want to circle around in this, you know, in this sludge of misery is what you want to keep doing and seek yeah. empowerment in being a victim. I'm an empowered victim. So there's a lot in the culture that contributes to that. And, you know, these icons who have written these songs, it's like, okay, thanks. You can relate to the things that we're going to, but what's the solution? And that's one of the differences between, you know, the lyrics that are in the word of God that says, yeah, I, I know that same plight. Here's the hope. Here's the victory. Here's the solution. Yeah. You know, that's, it's the ability to, to, to share experiences i mean we're most of human history virtually all of human history is a bunch of people sitting around a fire talking mm. after they finish their you know mammoth uh, ribs uh <laughs> and while there's a guy out there watching the dark make sure no no uh, saber-toothed tigers come in but really honestly we're we're, we're we communicate through stories and shared experiences and a campfire or a family home or all the rest of these things is where you get to exchange stories and information and emotional connections. The industrial era kind of walled everybody off. And now the information era means that whatever friends we do have, like here we are, you know, we're friends. We talk to each other once a week and you're what, 80 miles, 100 miles away. You, you might as well be 10,000 miles away. That, 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 that human connection is what we need, and that's why people go and see Sting. And I'll just wrap up with one last thing. I, the Police are one of my two or three favorite bands, and if I look at my iPhone, I would say The Police are probably second in terms of the total number of songs on there. But when I went to the Sting concert, I wasn't a Sting fan. My wife was. That's why we went. She was a huge fan of Sting, uh, and I wasn't. But when I came out of there, I was. I was a big fan. Um, and, I'll, and I'll tell you the, the things... The, the main thing that really made me really appreciate this guy. Uh, 
when we walked into the theater, there's just the curtain, and the only thing on stage was a was a, a bass. Sting's bass player. And it was on a bass stand, just far enough away so that people couldn't touch it. But it's a completely empty stage, red curtain down, and this bass sitting there. I thought, isn't that nice? Uh, nice image. And then he starts playing, and, and you start seeing some close-up on the video stuff. And then he talks about this bass. Now, this bass that he had was made in 1957. Sting was born, I think, in 61. And he said, I bought it used, and I've played the hell out of it. And, and the, the thing is just, you know, it's just raw wood, Zoe, you know? I mean, he, this is the instrument he's played forever. And, and he says, I just like it. I, I, I've played the hell out of it, and, and it's like my orphan, and I certainly could afford a new bass, but this one's just got a lot of personality. We've been through a lot together. Sting's been married to his wife for a long time, but the thing that impressed me the most about Sting, by far... I thought he was probably around, uh, when I watched the show, I thought, man, this guy must be like 65, 66 or something. He was 70. Mm. And he looks 70. Mm. And he looks good for 70. But the one thing Sting doesn't do is he doesn't try to look like he's 30. You know what I mean? He hasn't done all the surgery. He hasn't done the John Kerry kind of, you know, uh, Botox mask. He, he, he's, he's 70 years old, and he's not afraid to, to look 70 years old. He's in awfully good shape for 70 years old, and that alone gave me a lot of inspiration. But that was the thing about it that I liked the most, and was that, was that he was comfortable in his skin where he was in life. And this is the last thing, really, that I wanted to talk to you about, and that is where he was in life. I'm, I'm a good deal older than you, and I'm, and I'm watching the show, and I'm looking around, and I'm going... What am I doing here with all these old people in the audience? You know, I'm here looking at all these middle-aged, late middle-aged people. I said, this audience is so old. Why am I here? Well, it's because Sting is 70, and I've been listening to his music since 1979, which is, you know, 42 years or something like that. If I did the math right, there's no guarantee about that. Um, and, and I'm watching him, and, I, and after the show was over, I thought, you know, if I'd seen Sting in 1983 or 84 when he was at the absolute, really at the height of his, of his powers and popularities, if I'd seen the police perform in 1984 or 85, the Sting that I would have seen would have had a lot more energy, he would have been a lot rougher around the edges, he would have been a lot more arrogant, he would have been a lot more cold. But there would have been a vibrancy there. Now he's singing his songs, and I'm watching this guy and I'm close enough to see his facial expressions. And he's, and all of, almost all of those rough edges had been worn smooth. And, and there was so much more like wisdom and pain there and, and, and humanity there and humility there. And I thought, that's an interesting balance, isn't it? Because that's kind of how life works. Which one, you know, you've got, you've got the guy when he's young, just nothing but creative energy. He's mostly, mostly singing songs that are 30, 40 years old. So you see, you can either see him when he's young and all this stuff is sparking out of him, and he doesn't even really know what he's doing. He just knows he's got to say these things. And I'm trying to connect this to my life and maybe to yours as well. Let's get all this stuff out. And then, and then when I see him now, a lot of that rawness that you like in rock and roll is gone, but there's so much warmth there, there's so much depth there, there's so much more feeling, there's so much more feeling, in, in the, and he sung those old songs in a way that made me realize I didn't even hear them before. 
And I guess that's kind of what life does to us, you know? It kind of, it kind of, the vitality and that kind of almost like violence of, of creation, <laughs> I'm going to go out and conquer the world, that goes away. And it doesn't leave a hole. It, it, it just changes into something. It changes into, into something else. And it's roughly equally valuable. You know, you give up this vitality and this and this youth and this and this energy, and and that goes. And and you're left with the core of of what he's trying to say. But there's a an accessibility and a, and a humanity and a connection and a wisdom and a depth, a depth that comes from having lived you know forty years of of music. And and I remember thinking. Man, I wish I could have both of those things. <laughs> that was my honest thought, you know, mm. honest thought. I wish I could be twenty-five and have the and have the wisdom and the sense that I have now. And this must be the universal human lament. Yeah, man. That uh, you, as as the saying goes, you know, you want to age like wine, and you know, not like milk, you know, and just, mm -hmm. and and have and wow, if we had those qualities, uh, you know, when we were younger, sure, and and you know, with this audience and how these songs are executed. You know, at this point, of course, the, he's going to be more refined in the approach, but there's different factors to that. It's like you, you're playing before people, man, you guys still want to hear these songs, man, after 30 years, you know, and the, and, and it's like you just it's one of those things where you want to step up your game man. I want to give it to you. this. I, I just I, thank you, man. I, I just want to give it to you the best way that I can, you know, give it to you. It's one. I can't maybe like do all the jumping around on stage and anything like that. Just, you know, I'm older now. But however, I want you to be able to hear the notes and execute the notes just so carefully to give you that experience and try to recapture that the same way that you heard it and better, you know, that when you were. So there's a lot of, there's that reverence that comes in and that exchange between the person listening and the person, uh, you know, doing the songs. Like you kind of like almost handle it like grandkids, you know, it's like, you know, you want to treat your grandkids better than you treated your own kids. It's like, oh, now's my chance to be like the real fun parent and all that sort of stuff and really treat you know, treat the audience, you know, to, to something special, man. And, and there's, there is this, and like you said, you know, there, he's not trying to put on any sort of airs or trying to make himself look this or that, you know, there's this, there's this realness, you know, and, yeah. and that's what I dig about, you know, cause what you're getting, what you see is what you get. And that's one of the reasons why I love, you know, when the Lord, when, when Moses said, Hey, what's up, man? What's your, what's your name? And he says, yo, I am. You know, that's it. I, I, it is what it is, brother. I'm, I, I am, you know, if you want to know what my name is and, and that's the connection. And, and I, cause that's what we talk about, right? What you see is what you get. You want people to love you for your art. And God digs that. He understands that. Yeah, man, that's why I say I am. This is what you get, right? And I, I don't hide anything from you. The good, the bad, the ugly. I'll tell you about it all. And I'm justifiable to do so. And, and, and when we speak about connection, the Lord totally understands the importance of human connection. He totally understands that. Jesus is a Levite. He's not only just from the root of David, from the line of David, he's from the line of Levites, the priests. And the word Levi itself means connect. He's our connector, right? That's what it means. So he understands all that. So, you know, when, when these people are able to do what it is that they do, you know, and, and people are still connected to that that experience to that feeling, whether it's the nostalgia or, or, or you know, just, uh, you know, just a melody that they heard or a rhythm that, that they can just enjoy with everybody else. These are special things that connect people. And I mean, 
I would love, you know, I would love to, man, what a joy that would be. You know, it's not something that I'm seeking fulfillment in or anything like that, but hey, it would be pretty cool to be able to have that song that people, you know, masses remember like, you know, 30 years from now and, and uh, you know, if, if 30 years from now is what we got, <laughs> not to sound cynical or anything like that, but just, you know, for the sake of it, you know, for 20 years, whichever, that people say, yeah, man, I'm going to play that song. You And you bust out with that song and everybody's like, yeah, that was my jam back in the day. You know, you know, what a, what a blessing to be able to experience that with people. Just a final thought here. Um, I remember. Uh, I remember how I, I, I've had a couple comedians that I really like, and, and one of the one I like the most is Brian Regan. Mm. And I've listened to his concert or watch his concert video, and it's just hilarious. Mm. And then I'd go back and watch him on Letterman or something, and he would do the exact same jokes, and he would put the exact same pauses in, including the same kind of realizations. And I was kind of disappointed, you mm. know, like oh. It's the same thing. And it's like, well, of course it is dummy. I mean, he's got to do this 400 times, you know, a year or something. He has to, he has to do it. And then I realized just because, again, I'm just trying to explain to people what it's sometimes like on the other side of that curtain. There was a period there when I was doing the same speech every time. It was, it was the what we believe speech. And, and I, it was the only time I've, in my life where I've done the same speech. Otherwise, they're completely different. But this time I was doing the same thing again and again and again. And it got better and better and better. And I think of something funny or something, I put it in and if it worked, I'd keep it and so on. And then I realized, my God, I'm doing the exact same thing that these guys are doing. I'm giving them the exact same show. It's not fair. I got to do something to make it different and new. So I started playing around with it and it made it worse. And that's when I realized my obligation is to not give people the the, a unique version of this, but to give them the best version of this. And if this is the best speech, this is as good as this speech is going to get, then that's what I'm going to keep doing. And it, I bring all that up only to say that usually in a live concert, in fact, almost exclusively, the artist will change the way the song is sung, specifically so that you don't hear what you heard when it was recorded. And I was... I said he started with Roxanne and then he ended with Roxanne, which is kind of his song. And sure enough, he did a version where it's Roxanne. He's really just blowing it out there. But he had the luxury, because he's done this for 40 years, he had the luxury to just, at, in the middle of this thing, at the very end of the show, middle of the song, he just slowed it down and all of the other instruments went away. And it was just him just almost whispering in the mic, you know. He's like, Roxanne, you don't have to put on the red light. You know? And... And it, it, that, that, that ability to be able to take away all of the flash and get down to the actual message was just, I don't know, just over, overwhelming, overpowering. So on behalf of uh, my friend, uh, superstar Alfonso Rachel and me, the megastar Bill Whittle, uh, beloved by all who, who sell out concerts all over the place. I just thought it might be worthwhile talking about what that nobody <laughs> sting probably went through while he was on stage there. But it did occur to me that that might be something people might be interested in hearing, and I guess we're going to find out in the comments section. Uh, this show is made possible by those of you that buy tickets uh, to come and listen to us do our thing. Uh, it's the members of BillWhittle.com, specifically the members who joined us about a year ago, uh, specifically so we could bring, uh, bring Zoe uh, over and talk about these things, which has been a lot of fun. This is our 80... Second show, I think, and we got a lot more uh, left in us. So, um, on behalf of my friend Alfonso Rachel, I'm Bill Whittle. We'll see you next time on the Virtual. Series.